privilege of being here in this conference. I believe this is the first time that I've had opportunity to be here at the Bryan Station Baptist Church. I came by very briefly one time. I believe Brother Gorman was headed to a funeral. Brother Price and I, I saw the building, but I did not meet any of the people at that time. That was some ten years ago, maybe a long time. We're glad to have the privilege of being here and having a part on this program. We also would like to thank the church for the permission of our missionary, to, at least briefly, to tell something about himself. We thank the Lord for him. We know that this is a great missionary church. It has been for a long time, preaching the truth and getting out the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we thank God for this church and its pastor. Not much for preliminaries, so turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 14. I first thought that I might read most all of this chapter, but since there's only one verse that I'm going to use as a text, it probably would be well for me just briefly to tell you what is in the chapter, and then to read the text. You'll find that our text is in this 14th chapter in verse 13, but I'll briefly try to fill in the setting here, that is, the historical setting of this text. There was a king in Israel named Jeroboam. He had a son whose name was Abijah. His child was sick. Many people believe that the child might die. Perhaps the king himself believed as much. He was very desirous of knowing what the outcome of this sickness would be. So he thought there was only one fellow that could tell him what it would be like. It happened to be one of his enemies, incidentally, a prophet. A prophet named Ahijah. He told his wife to disguise herself like one of the common women of the land and go to this prophet and ask, how it would be with the child that was sick. I can understand as a father why that one would be concerned about a son that was sick and would wonder why that it might be so and what the outcome would be. So his wife goes to the prophet and begins to make inquiry concerning this child. Most all of the chapter is taken up, at least the larger part of the chapter is taken up with the reply here of the prophet to the wife of Jeroboam. I do not know as much as I would like to know about this child. From what I discover in the Bible and read in Josephus, I'm convinced that he was an honorable young man. He evidently did not agree with his father concerning the idolatry that was in the land. He believed that the people ought to go to Jerusalem to worship. He did not believe that they ought to go to Dan and Beersheba to worship. So it seemed to be the case that he was one that promised a good deal of a future change in Israel. 
I suppose that those that had some fear of God in their hearts, I was hoping that Jeroboam would pass off of the scene and that his son would take over the throne. And if so, there would be a better day for the nation of Israel. It was not God's will that it be that way, though it seemed to be probable perhaps in the minds of the people. Now taking a portion of that message that the prophet Ahijah delivered to the wife of Jeroboam, we find that the child is going to die. God said it would die. And unto God the Lord belongs the issues from death. So the child will indeed die, as God said. He's going to have a decent burial, and all Israel will mourn his death. But I'm only going to read there that 13th verse, and that will be our text. This is the prophet now speaking to the wife of King Jeroboam. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bear him. For he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave. Because in him there is found some good thing toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. I want us to focus our attention on the expression there concerning this son of Jeroboam. There is found some good thing toward the Lord God of Israel. That good thing was in him, the text said. It's almost remarkable that God would reach down and save one member of this household of idolaters. This boy was as a brand plucked from the burning. He lived in a very bad environment, and he looked like a very unlikely recipient of the saving grace of God. Nevertheless, he was one that experienced the grace of God in his heart, for that was that good thing from the Lord God that he had. I believe that in every regenerate child of God, there is some good thing toward the Lord God of Israel. And that good thing is something that God put there. I would call it what the old Baptists call it, the principle of grace in the heart. I do not know of any better terminology than that. That is my subject today. The principle of grace in the heart. We realize that man by nature has nothing good in him. I know the liberals talk about how that in every man there's an inward flame of good that needs to be fanned. That's not true. All men are totally depraved before God. There is nothing good in us by nature. Time after time that's declared only by our Savior, but also by the Apostle Paul. Jesus said in the 10th chapter of Mark, in verse 18, there is none good but one, and that's God. So the only good being in all the universe, in the absolute sense, is God. 
And outside of him, no one else is good. The Apostle Paul, writing in the book of Romans, chapter 3, said in verse 10, 11, and 12, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Somebody said, you mean the Pope doesn't do good? No. You mean that a lot of the good moral men that we know that they do not do good? This Bible said, no, not one. That language is such that an omniscient God would have found even one if such existed. Then again, the Apostle Paul, writing in the book of Romans, chapter 7, says, this time in verse 18, he qualifies this a bit. In a lot of our text, it would need to be qualified. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, please mark those words, Dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. So there is nothing good in this flesh of ours. It is totally depraved before God. And the only good that is in any man is that principle of grace that was wrought in our heart by the Holy Spirit in regeneration. It is something that God has given us. Not something that we've worked up or dreamed up, but something that has come down, for we have been born from above. There are a number of things in our text that I would like to call your attention to. Four, possibly five truths that I see in this text concerning the principle of grace in the heart. I want to first of all spend some time elaborating on the fact that in the heart of every child of God there is some good thing toward the Lord God of Israel. I told you that I call that the principle of grace. It is the work of God upon the soul. It is called in the Bible the sanctification of the Spirit. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. As many other titles, some of which we shall mention later. But that there is such a work of grace upon the soul can be seen in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Paul said, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. So surely there is a good work started in the heart of a regenerate child of God. It is from a good God. Therefore it must be a good work. It's good in its beginning and its end. It's good in its source and its stream. 
It's good in time and eternity. It makes the individual that receives it a good man. It enables him to perform good works before God. Indeed it is the good work of God that is wrought in the soul. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 7 and 17, if you'll make the tree good, it'll bear good fruit. The reason why many professed Christians do not bear good fruit is because God has never by regeneration made them good trees. You can't bear good fruit until you've been made a good tree. Don't expect fruit from a tree that's dead. Because dead trees don't produce any fruit. It goes without saying that repentance and faith are a part of this good work that God brings about in the soul. While we'd like to speak about those, we shall refrain from that, just mention those quickly and passing, and go on to point out some of the other things that are involved in this good thing in every regenerate soul. I believe that in regeneration, the Holy Spirit takes up his abode in the heart of a child of God. I believe all believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I believe there's a special sense in which the Spirit of Christ is in the assembly of the saints, but I believe that every believer has the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 27, the Lord is saying here of Israel to be regenerated in the future, certainly true of God's regenerate people now, Jew or Gentile, and I will put my Spirit within you. That's part of that good work, part of that good thing, see, in us. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. So one of those good things in the believer is the indwelling spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit of God is in the heart. You say, well, how do you know that he is the good Holy Spirit? The Bible says in Psalms 143 and verse 10, thy spirit is good. So if God in regeneration puts the Holy Spirit within us, then there is in us some good thing toward the Lord God of Israel. The Holy Spirit of God is that. He is good in his operation. He is good in his gifts. He is good in all that he does in the way of leading and directing the children of God in this world. Pity those who do not have that spirit because Paul said in Romans 8 and 9, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. may belong to the church, may belong to the lodge, but he is not of the Lord Jesus Christ if he doesn't have the Holy Spirit of God within if Christ is not in him, he has no hope of glory. Amen. I believe that the fear of God is within a regenerate child of God. There's one thing that seems to be sadly missing in the world and oftentimes missing in God's churches. That is the fear of God. There's a lot more fear of man today than there is fear of God. Right. Amen. 
It's not only true of the world, but sometimes true of professed Christians that there is little, if any, fear of God before their eyes. That accounts for a lot of other things that go on in the world, too, which I'll mention quickly. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 32, and verse 40, there's found this scripture. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will not turn away from them to do them good. But I will put my fear in their hearts, in their hearts. There is in us some good thing toward the Lord God of it, the fear of God. But I will put my fear in their hearts, that they shall not depart from me. You put the fear of God in a man's heart, and he'll persevere. He doesn't have it. He won't persevere. Amen. Amen. We need some fear of God. Those that have been born of God should be fearful of offending their father. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. The reason that sin abounds on every hand is because there's not as much fear of God as there ought to be in the world. And sin abounds in our life because we don't fear God as we ought to. In the heart of every believer, there is this fear of God that is a part of that good thing that's in you. Think about one statement in the book of Nehemiah where he said, We did this not because we feared God. Fear of God will keep people from doing things that are wrong. It will encourage them to do things that are right. Then I believe that another thing that I can mention is that the love of God is there in our hearts. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, Paul tells us how that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that he has given unto us. I don't understand all about the love of God. I try to behold what manner of love he's bestowed upon me, but I'm sure that I come very short of understanding it to perfection. I know it's an unselfish love. I know that he loved me not because of who I was, but in spite of what I am. That's the same kind of love that the Holy Spirit has shed abroad in our hearts. This unselfish love that not only causes us to love those that love us, but causes us to love even our enemies as Christ commanded us to do. The love of God is that. Then I would hasten to add that the Word of God is that. So the psalmist said, Thy word have I hid in my heart. It's within. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Then I think about the statement in the 8th chapter of the book of Hebrews. And I don't know what you believe about the moral law of God today. I believe it's the rule of life for the believer. I believe that God engraves that in our hearts in regeneration. Since the Bible says that the moral law of God is good and holy and just and the like, then certainly if that law is in our hearts and that word is in our hearts, 
there is in our hearts some good thing toward the Lord God of Israel. The book of Hebrews, chapter 8 and verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them in their hearts. I will be to them a God and they shall be to me. So here are some things that I believe are involved in that good work of grace that God has wrought in our hearts by the Holy Spirit in regeneration. Now there's another thought in our text. That is that that good thing is within us. It's not something that has been done by us. It is internal, not external. After all, is there anything we could do good if God had not put some good thing in us first? A lot of times people are mistaken. They think they're saved and they're not. They believe that they have made their calling and election sure. In reality, they have never been purged from their sins. There's a vast difference between having the principle of grace in the heart, having your name upon the roll of some church. There can be outward reformation of a man's life, and yet he may be a stranger to the principle of grace in the heart. Herod went out to hear John the Baptist preach. That he did many things. Must have kind of straightened up, quit taking bribes, quit drinking, maybe. I don't know what all he may have done. He reformed. He did better. But there never was an old wicked Herod any good thing toward the Lord God of Israel. He never had the principle of grace in his heart. Reformation is not regeneration. I think about how that the Pharisees were outwardly, at least religious. They made a great pretense out of doing good. The Lord said they were like tombstones that had been whitewashed, that within were full of dead men's bones. So I want you to understand that outward reformation is no evidence within itself that the principle of grace is in the heart. Because there may be a difference between those two things. Then mere outward humility because of sin is no indication that one has the principle of grace in his heart. Why well, said that old King Ahab humbled himself before the Lord? But there never was in the heart of Ahab a good thing toward the Lord God of Israel. It said that even Pharaoh one time said, We've sinned, I've done wrong, the Lord is righteous, me and my people, we're mean, we're wicked. But there never was in the heart of Pharaoh a good thing toward the Lord God of Israel. Judas confessed that he'd sinned by betraying innocent blood. But there never was in the heart of Judas any good thing toward the Lord God of Israel. 
He never had the principle of God's saving grace in the heart. In the regenerate man, there is some good things toward the Lord God. Paul said in Romans 7, 22, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. So that principle of grace in the heart is called the inward man, the new nature, the new creation. And it delights in the law of God as the moral rule for life. I think that it's called in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 4, the hidden man of the heart. That's the principle of grace. That's a new nature, whatever you want to call it. It's all the same that I'm referring to. Can't be seen by the world always, but it's there if God put it there. I believe that Jesus called his spirit in John 3 when he said, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Never be anything else, just flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. It's the product of the Holy Spirit. And it is spiritual in its nature and being. And the old Baptists called it the principle of grace in the heart. Or as the New Hampshire Baptist Confession said, God gives to him a holy disposition of mind. Call it what you want to. It's all the same thing we're talking about. And I believe that it's called in the first epistle of John, chapter 3 and verse 9, the seed of God. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him. That's that good thing toward the Lord God of Israel. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. The divine seed, the principle of grace in the heart, call it what you want to. God has put it in us. If it's there, God has put it there. Well, the psalmist said in Psalm 51 and verse 6 that God desires truth in the inward part. In the inward part. Just another way of saying that in the heart of one of God's elect is a good thing toward the Lord God of Israel. Jesus called it the good treasures in Matthew 12. 35. We call it the good ground in Matthew chapter 13. It has many different titles in the Bible, but it perhaps is best called, at least I think, by the term the principle of grace in the heart. Now the third thing that I would call your attention to is that our text said there was in this boy a good thing toward the Lord God of Israel. It did not say there was in him every good thing that he needed. The work of grace is but a work begun. We are to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got a race to run. We've got a battle to fight. It's not all over with. There's a cross to be born. The work of grace is a mere work begun. Now, it'll be performed. No question about that. But there's a race to be run, and there's a battle to be fought. There's a cross to be born. 
There's a crown to be won. So this is a good thing, all right, but it's not every, it's not every good thing. Because there are other things down the road for us. We are to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to go on growing until we grow to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I don't suppose any of us are full grown yet, either. Most of us got a long way to go. Most of us still a little baby, if the truth is told. Still thinking as a child and acting as a child. We've never grown up. Still playing around with childish things, aren't we? We think about faith. Surely that is a divinely wrought grace. But you know our faith has not yet reached its apex. Sometimes our faith is weak. There can exist in a believer a certain amount of faith and unbelief at the same time. Look at Sarah in the Old Testament if you don't believe that. She even laughed at the promise of God. There was Peter, an apostle of the Lord. The Lord prayed for him that his faith failed not. One time they said, Lord, increase our faith. Even our faith has not reached the perfection that it ought to reach. It's no more than the work of grace started out. Even our faith has some deficiencies. The same can be said of our hope, our love. Is there any among us that love God to perfection? We ought to. Do we love His Word as we ought to? By the grace of love has not yet reached perfection in us. Oh, we started out in it. The Holy Spirit has brought it in our hearts, but there's more to come. It needs to grow, it needs to enlarge. Well, I know quite a bit, or I don't know much. The older I get, the more I realize I don't know much. A lot of time, when I was a young preacher started out, I thought I knew just about everything in the world. You know, I found out I knew very, very little about God and the Bible. I come to think of it, what do we really know about God? There's probably a lot more about him that we don't know than there is that we do know. All we know has been revealed to us in the book. Somebody said, where did God come from? I don't know. Who made God? I don't know. You can ask me many questions about God that I can't. I know that God is God, and that's all that I need to know. That's the important thing. How much do we really know about the gospel of God's Son? Well, I know enough to be saved. That's all you really need to know, in a sense. But the greatest theologian in the world does not know all that is knowable about the gospel. We know in part. What is perfection yet? We know in part. The greatest brain in the world, the greatest theologian that ever lived, knows but very little about God. Very little about the things of God when the 
Christ for all presented to us. I know enough about Christ to know Him as my Savior. I know enough about this Bible to know that it's the Word of God. I know enough about His church to know that He planted it here by His own hand. I know that He saved me and I know that He called me to preach, but there's a lot that I don't know about God in the Bible. There may be a lot that I'll never know, not even in the ages to come. One said that even in the ages to come, we'll go on trying to understand God and to know Him better. Perhaps it'll be that way. I do not know. I know God as my Savior. That's the important thing to know. If I didn't know anything else in the world, I'd be content to know God. Well, there is in us some good thing toward the Lord God of Israel, but not every good thing. There's better things to come, though, down the road. For that, we can be thankful. Now, let me take a few moments to point out that whatever that good thing is in us from the Lord God, it will be found. I'm not a hard shell. You can see right there. It will be found. God will find it. Other individuals will see it. And the man himself will know it. I'm certain that the Lord knows about it because he put it there. After all, he knows what's in man anyway. He especially knows about the work of grace that is begun in the soul. I believe that the person himself will know it. The reason I believe that is because of what the Scripture says. In the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 13, verse 5, Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Christ is in you except ye be reprobates. So then we can know that Christ dwells in our hearts in the person of the Holy Spirit. So the individual himself can know that there is him in him some good thing toward the Lord God of Israel. Somebody said, well, do you believe a man can be saved and not know it? I don't know. He could. He could be lost and never know it. Lost. Why, if the President of the United States came to my house, I'd know it. And if Jesus Christ comes into a man's so I tell you, he's going to know it. Unless he's a reprobate, and then he's not going to come. So the person will know about it. There will be some outgoing of the soul toward God. There will be some evidence that God has wrought a good work in his heart. So I'm telling you not only that God knows it, but I'm telling you that the man himself knows it. He knows that God has performed the work of grace upon his heart. I believe other people are going to know it too. I believe other people are going to know it. You say, well, why do you say that? Because the Bible seems to indicate that to me in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, 
received the grace that was given unto me. Can other people see it? Look at that. Receive the grace that was given unto me. God gives us grace. Other people can see it as well as ourselves. They gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they to the circumcision. Though God knows about it, the man himself knows about it, and other people know about it too if God put it there. Saves a man by his grace, people are going to know about it. There's going to be a change in his life. He's going to have a new walk and a new talk. He's going to have a new song, even praise unto our God. There's going to be a difference in his life if he's really been saved by the grace of God. So other people will be able to see it. Then I believe that it will be found even at the very judgment of God. Because in First Peter chapter 1 and verse 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. God knows it. Other people will know it. And the individual himself will know it. If indeed a work of grace has been wrought upon his heart. Well, you believe a man can know that he's saved? I think he'd better know that he's saved. Because if he doesn't know that he's saved, then he could be lost, not even know that he ever had anything. Is that not right? How would he ever know anything if he didn't know that he was saved? It's a terrible thing if a man could be saved and not know it. I don't believe that God would be that unjust, shall I say, to a man. Then I note that whatever this good thing is, it acts toward God. It's a good thing toward the Lord God of Israel. All grace comes from God and will return to God in acts and exercises on the part of the recipient. Repentance is toward God. Faith is toward the Lord Jesus Christ. You can go on and on. Hope and love. All of the graces of the Christian, they're all toward God. Toward God. Get that. They're toward the Lord God of Israel. Every grace is toward God. It comes from God. It must, in a sense, return to God in praise and honor and glory. I believe that this will make a man that receives the grace of God concerned about the honor of God. Sometimes we worry about our honor, you know. Somebody insults our honor, we'll be ready to fight it to drop of a handkerchief nearly sometime. But I believe we ought to be concerned about the honor of God. We ought to be concerned about the honor of God. We ought to be concerned about His cause, about His church, about His commandments, about the ordinances of His house. For indeed, if God has wrought a good work upon our soul, why would it not be so? Yes, I believe that this work of grace in the soul will make a man a good man toward God. 
your desire to live a life that is morally clean, pure, upright, and delightful. If a man has been born of the Spirit, he will bear the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. If a man has been saved by the grace of God, he will not live a life of disgrace. Indeed, if God has put some good thing in you, then I believe that you're going to do some good things for Him. What would that involve? A public profession of faith in the Lord Jesus. Indeed, if God has brought a work of grace in your heart, you're going to confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth. He's given you a new heart and a new spirit. Why would you not want to confess with your mouth what he's put in your heart? Surely you would want to do so. Furthermore, I believe that a person that has been saved by the grace of God will desire baptism at the hands of a New Testament Baptist church. Well, that's the only people that have the authority to baptize today. We didn't give it to some um, various organizations that come along today and try to usurp the place of the church. He gave that to his church, the authority to baptize. I believe that he would desire to be a member of the Lord's church. He'll want to put his light on a candlestick. Revelation 1 20 said the candlestick is the church. Did you know what Christ said about it? That's not my definition, that's his. I believe that he'll not only desire to follow the Lord in baptism, make a public profession of his faith. But I believe that he'll desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. If a man can be saved and not live a different life, then I don't know what salvation is. Because it sure made a change in me. I'm not what I ought to be, and I'm not what I'm going to be. But I thank God I'm not what I used to be. For the grace of God that to me has taught me to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Amen. I'm convinced that it will do the same for every man. The same for every man. Let me just quickly make a few other observations before closing. I'm afraid that there are many people that do not have the principle of grace in their heart. Modern evangelism is primarily designed to bring about what I call stony ground hearers. They don't have any root. They have an outward profession. But there is no real root of grace in the soul. And what we need is some people that have the principle of grace in the heart that love God, that love the Word of God, that love the church of God. Then preachers wouldn't have to spend all their time trying to figure out what they were going to do with some church members. Maybe. I don't want to be mean. I don't want to be sarcastic, but that's the truth as I see it. People that have the principle of grace in the heart will pray. But old Ananias needed to be convinced Old Saul had been saved. He didn't tell him that he's making a big loud profession. He didn't tell him that he'd done this, he'd done that. He said, Behold, he prayed. It would cause a man to cry out to God for help. 
It'll cause a man to beseech the Lord as he walks in this world that he may be an honor and praise unto his God. The Lord help us that we might rejoice in this principle of grace that God has put in the heart. If you're here today and there is in you some good thing toward the Lord God, you have great cause to rejoice. And if not, may this be the day that a divinely wrought work of God will take place in your heart. That you'll be given a new heart and a new spirit. That you may be caused to walk in His statutes and judgments and to do them. Because without that principle of grace in the heart, you'll have no desire to do that. You'll have no desire to do it. God has been gracious to many of us and has saved us. May it please Him to save even some here today if it be his will. I regret that I will have to leave as soon as I step down out of this stand. It's been good to be here with you, and thank you, Brother Gormley, in this church for the opportunity. Amen. Amen. Amen.